0: Welcome to the FishCast. This week, our roundup will go over the commitments of Jalen Early to Florida State. The University of Miami got commitments from Traquan Fagans and Isaiah Horton. The University of Florida pulled in running back Terrence Gibbs. The final commitment we will discuss is Mason Taylor out of St. Thomas Aquinas. He decided to pull the trigger for the LSU Tigers. Good afternoon and welcome to the FishCast. My name is Corey Long.
1: I am one of your hosts, I do college football evaluations for WalterFootball.com, and I'm a columnist for Saturday Down, South, and Saturday Tradition. Joined, as always, by the Director of Scouting and General CEO of Elite Scouting Services, Charles Fishbine. How are you doing, Fish? Doing great. Ready to go, man. Excellent. Excellent. And... Also joined by well-traveled co- former college coach, he's been to Rutgers and Hawaii and Florida State and NC State, Chris Demaris, Coach Demo. How you doing, Coach? Good to see you guys. Great to be
2: on. Another great podcast coming.
1: Another great podcast. We're going to get hot right out of the box, talk about a few commitments. Commitments are starting to slow down as teams enter training camp this week and next week, but all three of the big in-state schools got a little something this week. They got a little something on the uh, recruiting pot. We're going to start off with the University of Miami. Uh, they got two players this past week. Um, and um, first player is a wide receiver out of Tennessee, Isaiah Horton. Um, really, I looked at them. Uh, they, they beat out Tennessee for them. You know, got a little speed, kind of a 6'3", six, looking six, about 185. Definite outside guy. What would you say, Fish?
0: Yeah, you know, I when I watched the film, I, I liked his size. You know, he gives them a big target on the outside. Uh, you know, he shows very good hands. He can high point the football. You know, he, he lacks that great top end speed. But um, when you have that type of size, size gives, is, gives you that ability to get separation. They need a bigger, more physical receiver, a guy that they know on third and six, they can throw the ball to count on and move the chains. And he'll also be very effective in the red zone. I think you could throw him some fade routes in the back of the end zone and uh, score some touchdowns. I like him. Um, is he a number one guy? Probably not. It's probably more of a number two, but he's another very good receiver. It's We've talked about this before. It's a down year in Florida. So you see that pretty much all three Florida schools are looking outside the state for receivers, which is crazy. But it looks like that's what's going to happen this year.
1: Yeah, to me, he looked like, you know, a red zone kid, um, you know, going to be really good, you know, in the red zone. He's going to be good, like you said, moving the chains. Um, good in those one-on-one situations where you where you need a kid that's going to go up in there and um, get up the ball, you know, get those 50-50 balls, get those contested passes. That's, that's kind of what I saw him as. And I think it's, you know, it's, like you said, it's a need for them. They need some... They need a couple of bigger kids in that passing game. Um, I, I think his long speed is a concern. Like I don't know if he can stretch the field, but I think he gives you a lot of stuff from the from those twenty yard routes on end. So you know I, I like the pick. Um, you know the second you know, Corey, kid, Corey, real quick. Height, height as a receiver is
2: paramount, especially if you're if you're not if you're a smaller guy, then you need to be able to make people miss in space. I mean that's what you call a space guy, a smaller guy in the slot makes people miss, et cetera. But once you start getting the height involved and you get to those taller receivers, you'll be able to throw the ball, like you said, and fish it in the red zone um, where he's able to go up and get it. He's able to go, go compete with the corners that maybe are 5'11", foot. That's why they keep getting corners bigger and bigger because they want to match up the size of the receivers because those guys can go up and get it. That's where these basketball talent comes in. But um, you're right. The height becomes extremely important, especially down in the red zone when these quarterbacks can throw it up and they can go get it.
0: His size is going to make a difference. It allows you to get separation that you may not be able to get when you're a bigger receiver. If the thing is, is if you have a six, three guy that runs like a, a 5'10 guy, you've got a top 10 pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean, it's one. just, you know, I mean, those are the Jamar chases. Those are the guys, uh, the Jerry Judy types. Those guys don't exist a lot of yeah. times. So when you get a bigger receiver the, I, I remember watching chase Claypool in high school, and people question whether he was fast enough. And you know what? You go look at him. He's one of the best young receivers in pro football because he's so big and physical. He could box corners out, like basically like a basketball player going for a rebound. Though Their hips and that size in their lower body give them separation on smaller corners. So that's very important when you're talking about the bigger receivers.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And again, it does fit a need for Miami. Who does need to get bigger at the receiver position. They need to get more physical. They need to get some, you know, dare we say, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of nastiness on the outside with those guys that can, you know, push some of those DBs around. Um, I'm really excited about Miami's second commitment of the week. Uh, Traquan Fagan's out of uh, Alabaster, Alabama, a cornerback. I, I think he's just an elite kid, probably one of the best 10 cornerbacks in the nation. And, I mean, you, you, you turn on the film, he does it all. He's just, he's everywhere on the field. He's just a tremendous athlete. You know, this is somebody they got to be really excited about to pull a kid like this in that area, which means you're pulling him away from Alabama, you're pulling him away from Auburn. That's That's impressive. You know, the thing about what what this
2: guy brings is when you run a scheme on defense like uh, Manny Diaz does, you need to have your back-end kids dynamite because a lot of times you're going to be left on an island because you want to get tackles for loss. You want to put pressure on the quarterback. So the guys behind you got to be able to play dynamic football, and he's one of those guys. You know, when you watch him on film, he's a flat-out playmaker. When the ball's in his hands, he's special, whether it be kickoff return, whether he's playing on offense. He's just completely special. And as I said before, when we had um, Coach Sider uh, Sider on from uh, Penn State, the more running backs that you get on your roster that could play multiple positions, the better off you're going to be. And his kid fits into that category. I watch him play. He's a dynamic player.
0: You know, I don't get a lot of opportunities to see kids out of Alabama play live. I actually got a chance to watch this kid. He was part of the Mortals 7-on-7 football team, which is a Miami team. He was – part of that team this year so he went and played with one of some of the top players in dade county this year and the one thing i noticed at every event is he would call out the top receiver like hey i got this guy and that's the one thing you have to have that confidence and that belief when you're a top rated corner that you could cover anybody and he's big he's long he's athletic um when you go back and look at the history of the miami corners they've had some very good corners uh, one of them was a coach there and Mike Rump. They also had an on-trail role. The versatility, too, that these guys aren't pigeonholed at one position. They could play outside. They could play field or boundary. They could move into the slot. They could play safety. You can move them around and not get stuck at one position. They're physical enough to come up and play the run. And that, like you said, Manny likes to uh, blitz a lot and take chances. You, you, If you're going to take chances, your corners, you have to believe, that they could cover the guy and shut him down. Because when you blitz, it's high risk, high reward. You know that if you don't get there, you better hope your corners could do their job. And this kid's just another one. What's great, we, we've talked about this. The one thing they've done a very good job this year, All if you look, all the DBs that they're bringing in are kind of similar. They're big, long athletic guys, play on both sides of the football, they're versatile. None of these guys are really just, hey, this is a slot corner. This guy's a safety, and that's all they can play. Every guy they're bringing in is versatile enough to play multiple positions on that back end.
2: I, I think you're 100% correct, Fish. And the same thing we discussed on here before about recruiting an O-lineman, that you want to have be able to play multiple positions on the O-line. It's the same thing with the secondary or linebackers. Whatever you recruit, especially those positions, you want those guys to be able to, move them around like a chess piece. They can play corner. They can play safe. They can play slot. They can play whatever. And the multiple guys like that you have on your team, the better chance you have of success.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of running backs, uh, Florida, the Gators jumped back in the commitment pool. They got a running back from the Winter Park area of Florida, a guy named Terrence Gibbs. Um, I remember watching him a little bit as a sophomore, um I thought he was really good really elusive you know kind of a kind of a quick back um he tore his ACL before so we don't really get a junior year out of him so obviously he had to hit camp circuits pretty hard but um you know he continued he a lot of the offers that he got as a sophomore stuck with him and Florida's pretty excited to have him I think you know obviously you want to see how he looks when he gets into live football this year but From all accounts, he camped very well. He looked very healthy. Um, And, you know, the ACL injury isn't, it's not a killer like it used to be, Um, like it was maybe 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. You know, kids tear their, unfortunately, tearing a knee ligament is, uh, you know, it happens a lot more frequently and kids recover from it a lot quicker.
0: Um, I'm not sure, did you see him camp this year, Fish? No, I watched what you saw, um, his sophomore film. And, you know, if he's pre-injury back to what he was pre-injury, he was my number one back in the state of Florida this year. Um, If you take out the kid from IMG, he's a Florida kid. Uh, The one thing you'll notice on film, he's very explosive. I mean, he's, once he gets to that second level, his speed translates, the further he goes, he, he accelerates. There's some running backs and I've, I've talked about this. There's some running backs that get 20, 30 yards, and they're very good those first 30 yards, but they decelerate. They don't pick up speed as they move further down the field. This kid's 40, 50, 60 yards. You see him pulling away from guys, and it's easy for him to do it. So if he gets back to that pre-level of his injury, pre-injury, he's a he's an elite level back because he has the size. You see on the first clip on his highlight film, they throw him a little screen pass. He makes a couple guys miss. He gets in the open field. He has all the things you want. He has great feet. He can catch the ball. He's very elusive. He he doesn't mind ducking his head and and running over a defender. He has all the traits to be a special running back at the next level. You just got to hope that he has that same burst that he had, because that's what makes him elite is that burst. Do you see it on film? When he hits that hole and he gets in the open, he's gone. I mean, you may as well have the band play because there's nobody catching him.
1: Yeah, he's at that long speed. That's that's the one. Another thing I noticed too is that, you know, is that speed, like you said, 40, 50, 60 yards down the field that separates, you know, the good backs from the really good backs are the ones that can consistently go from one end of the field to the other and, and, and keep their acceleration, keep their top end speed. I think, like I said, I'm with you. If he's healthy, I think he's a great pick. Um, you know, coach, when you're recruiting a kid that's coming off of a major injury, you know, and you're getting him in your camp, what are you looking for out of that workout? Because you don't have, you know, you don't have a, you know, they missed a year of football.
2: I think it's very important that you have to know these recruits and what makes them tick. Did he attack the therapy? Did he attack it to become better than he was before he got hurt? If that's the case, then you're on to the right guy. If your guy's like, oh man, I can't believe I got hurt. I got to go through all this. I don't know if you got the right guy. So knowing your recruit, as we said many times in the show, is extremely important more than just watching him on film. You got to know what makes him tick. How determined is he? Does he want to be great? Those things. And if you got one of those guys that are coming off an injury that is repairable, but their hard work is involved to get back to where you were or even better, then you're on to the right guy.
0: Well, look at Frank Gore. You know, here's a guy that was a big time running back. I, I think right after a big game at University of Miami, he had a, a knee injury. He's had, I think, two or three knee surgeries on ACLs, and he's look. He's had a long productive career because he hasn't let it hold it back. A lot of the ACL injuries is mental. It's not a physical thing because the surgery now is basically second nature to these guys that are doing the surgeries. It's whether the guy mentally could get over. The fact that he got injured and does he trust his body and his knee that when he makes that cut or that move on a defender, that he's gonna trust that his knee's not gonna give way. And it's a lot of it's mental. So if you could get over that mental side of it, he should be all right.
1: Yeah, and the example that I look at is uh, Sony Michelle. If you yep. remember, if Sony gets tears, he has that amazing, I think it was his fresh, his either his eighth grade year, I think it was his first amazing year, right? He was amazing yeah. in eighth year. Then he tears his uh, ACL as a freshman. And, you know, he's young, so you're wondering how he's going to deal with it. And you and I, the first time anybody sees him in any sort of a workout situation is at, at FSU camp. And, you know, he's the best back out there in a loaded field, a field included like Alvin Kamara and Dalvin
0: Cook and, you know, guys like that. He, you would have you know, kn- never, yeah, never known he was injured the way he performed. I mean, he... it. it it looked like he had never been injured and he performed at a super high level. But I think that is that kid. He, he yeah. believes, he believed in the surgeon. He believed in his ability. He, he, he had the faith and trust of, of people around him. So a lot of that, it's, it's that support group too. You got to have people around you that are positive and that build you up too. that. Hey, listen, yeah, you got injured, but your career is still ahead of you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next commitment. We're going Florida state. They dip into the the commitment wing again, and they end up getting big offensive linemen uh, listed as a tackle. I think he's a guard. Uh, Jalen Early out of Duncanville, Texas. Um, I saw the film. Big kid. Um, You know, he definitely, when he gets his mitts on you, he definitely can throw you around. You know, he's one of those kids. Uh, He's got, I think my only concern, and the reason why I don't think he's a tackle is because he's got, Like, I think we both saw this fish. He's got heavy feet. He kind of, he doesn't run. He kind of, he kind of stumbles, you know? It's not like a, he's not a very, his movement isn't very smooth at all. You compare him to the one kid that we saw, I think his name was Antavius Woody, who was nowhere near as good technically, but you see him running 50 yards down the field. And then you see this kid and it's like, technically pretty decent, but, you know, the, the, the movement, just the lateral movement just isn't there to be a tackle. But I think as a guard, he's fine.
0: Yeah, I, I think that the, his upside is maybe like a Jose Matias that played at Florida State. Uh, a guard all the way, I don't think he's a tackle. Um, you know, he, he bends and leans over when he goes to block. He's going to have to learn some technique stuff. But if you look at him, he is maxed out pretty much physically. I think he's like 320, 325. So other than get cleaning himself up and getting him into college conditioning, uh, what you see, I think, is what you got. Uh, I, they have a major need along the offensive line. I think he's, he is a good addition. Uh, what this does is they now have six offensive linemen. They now can focus on the three guys, Elijah Pritchett, Easton Harris, and Julian Armella, which are the elite guys, the top guys on their board. They basically could go, all right, we got our six guys. If we get one of the next three, which are elite guys, they did a great job. Get two of the three, and you're probably going to have one of these guys leave the class. But they put themselves in a position of strength. They don't have to go and recruit a lot of guys. They now know who to focus on. I think these guys are good enough, but they're not guys that you have to worry about decommitting. I think these guys, these offensive linemen, it's crazy. When you saw them at the FSU camp, they almost bonded together. Like they were already buddies and roommates and friends, like they've been together. So I think this group understands that Florida state has a great opportunity. There's a reason why they're recruiting so many linemen. They have faith. Now you focus on those three guys that we, I just discussed East, like I said, Easton Harris, Elijah Pritchett, Julian Armella. If they get one of those three, this is the best O-line class Florida state signed in the last decade. So They've put themselves in a very good position. These guys are all very similar that they've recruited so far. I think this kid's probably the least athletic and uh, and pro- and most likely a guard where all the other guys have the versatility enough to play guard, center, or tackle. This guy's a guard all the way. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you got to make sure that he's okay with that because if he doesn't work out, you you're, you're talking a guy that's basically going to be a backup at Florida State.
2: Well, here's the thing, you know, he's a big human being and it falls in the line of what Florida State has been doing. This recruiting class, which we've talked about before in the show, which Fish just alluded to, they're attacking the line because they need to. And this is another big human being. Um, You know, he bends well, he has long arms. I see him pulling. But the thing that concerns me, he's a leaner, meaning he leans on guys and is just so strong that he's able to move them at that level that he's at. Well, when you get to this next level, there's this guy, these guys, big as strong as you, that your lean is not going to carry over. You're going to have to use your feet and other things to to make sure you move the guy. And that would be my only concern. But he's a big human being, and I do project him inside, Corey, even though he has those long arms and he and he bends well for a big guy. I still project him as an inside guy because he does
1: pull. Uh, you know, I, I have a question. He goes to Duncanville High, which is one of the. You know, it's a, it's a loaded program in Texas. Uh, FSU has two commits from that school. Jarrell Powell, Powers, the Titan, is also from that school. I think they've got somewhere close to a dozen kids that are going to go to D1 programs in this particular class. When you're recruiting at a school that's got that many players that are likely going to go D1, is it does it become a lot harder to kind of separate the ones that you think are, you know, that that are really legit and the ones that are kind of drafting along with the guys that are – because we see it everywhere. I mean, we see it at any program that has a ton of kids that are going. Like, they're not all going to work out. And some of them tend to look good because they're around better talent. And, you know, how do you really separate – how do you really, really kind of separate that and realize, okay, this kid is not just – a kid that's being enhanced because he's around some other great players.
0: You know, I, I, I remember, I'll jump in real quick. I remember talking to a coach that recruited that Ja'Cory Harris, um, that that Northwestern team that was loaded. And he basically said, fish, you got to find the one guy on that team you like and just recruit that one guy. You can't recruit all 12 or 13 guys. Find the one guy that you fit feels fit. Fit your school, fit your university. And look, that's what happened with Nebraska. They recruited out of uh, Juco, the Levante Taylor guy, who was the least, re- the lowest ranked player and ended up the best player on the out that came out of that Northwestern team. So you got to just find the one guy. Darrell powers is just one of many talented guys on this team. The thing is, is you want to make sure Florida state's taking two of them now that at least one of these two pan out. You don't want to take two kids from the same school and they both don't pan out.
2: See, I think you have to look at what is your recruiting philosophy and what are your needs? And then you go to say, okay, am I just filling numbers now or is it really a quality player? Well, in their mind, I'm sure they wouldn't have took him if they didn't believe he was a quality player, but sometimes you say, this is where it does come in. Well, who else is recruiting this kid is Texas and Texas A&M all over this kid. Or is he leaving Texas because maybe he's not getting the love in the Texas area that he would be. So there's a lot of things that go into this. And then obviously you have to say to yourself as a coach and as the recruiting guy, can he come here and make an impact in our program? Is he better than we already have or are we just filling numbers? But hopefully he fits that category better than what they have. And that's not really saying much, excuse me, but, 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 but in any case, hopefully he he fills a need and he's going to be able to contribute to that need.
0: Dima, let me ask you a quick question. All right, you take this kid, and and we looked at the Flint Carswell kid that Miami just took last week. There's a difference between taking a kid like that that's a basketball kid, has not played a whole lot. A lot of times, old line coaches want a guy that they don't have to break down and build back up. They want want that clay to be a brand-new thing of clay where they can mold them and, and develop them, and the kid doesn't know everything. The thing is, this kid's getting coached at a big-time program in Texas. Can, Like I said, is he maxed out, or can he be molded into something? Can he be a starter at Florida State, or is this guy going to be a a guy that basically you already see what you already have? Like the guys that we've watched that they've taken, I think talent-wise and athletic-wise, he's the least talented, but I think he's the most developed. So that's a scary thing because – Now you have a guy that's already tapped out. Is he going to get better at Florida State? Can he start there? Can he play there? That's the only concern. Now, if you want a depth guy, yeah, he's going to probably be a very good depth guy, and he's one of six guys they're taking, and he could be in the 2D.
2: I think it's a two-part answer. The first one is, what are your needs? Florida State doesn't have the luxury of developing a kid. I mean, they will. I mean, that's what you do as a coach. You develop when you get them there. But you don't you don't have a two year process of developing a kid, then put him in a position. Florida State needs the guy now. where you go down to Miami, they kind of have their, their their line set. So they could take a chance on a guy that could develop a year or two, like you said, and then slide in there as the o line with a huge upside, with a huge upside, hoping he gets there. But what's scary is when you look at a kid in high school and you say, Man, he's tapped out, meaning he's maxed out physically, he's maxed out as far as his technique, as far as his coaching, what, what he's going to get, he is what you're going to get. There is no more this or that. So maybe that fills the need of what Florida State's looking for. Is he going to get so much better in the next couple of years? I don't know. That's all coaching and a, depending on the kid, but you bring up a good point fish. If he's the most talented, but he's maxed out as far as his coaching techniques concerned, then there's a question.
1: And uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great point. In that, you know, you really want to, you know, I think there's always the hope of that with these colleges, you get players that you're catching them as they're starting to develop, not as they fully develop. But again, like you said, if you're in a spot where you're looking for a depth guy, you're looking for, a, you know, an additional interior guy that, you know, you can kind of plug in and you know what he's going to give you. He might be better than what you have in that sense and give you that good depth that you need over the next three or four years. Um, finishing up quickly, um, little, uh, one, one, one of the top players in Florida is leaving the state, uh, Mason Taylor, tight end at St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, committed to LSU. Not a surprise. It seemed like LSU was his leader for a while. He is uh, Jason Taylor's son. I love what I see of this kid. I mean, I like mostly Aquinas. You know, he's an Aquinas kid. So, you know, he looks like, they look like a million bucks. They do it. They seem to do everything well, but you know, I, you know, he has a lot of film up, um, you know, practice film, game film, blocking film, catching film. It's clear that he takes the role of tight end. You know, he, he, he's a, he's a true tight end in the sense that he can do the, the total job you want a tight end to do. You see him line up on the end line. You see him get open and play action. Obviously you got to block. If you're, if you're a Titan Aquinas, you got to be able to block. And, you know, he's got soft hands. I think he's athletic enough to where you can flex him out, but you don't have to. Fish, you know, quickly, give us something on Mason Taylor.
0: Here's a kid that last year before COVID, and this year, it's not the same kid. I mean, this is a kid that looks like a grown man now. And when you have the pedigree and the, the his father – was a guy that came from Akron. He was a six foot five, six foot six, 210 pound guy. He was a self-made great football player. He made himself great. This kid is already further along than his dad. I guarantee physically at the same time. Plus you got that pedigree and his upside is NFL draft pick. I mean, this kid has all the physical tools that you want. And I think he has more upside than anyone on that St. Thomas football team this year. I think he's a guy that can develop into a first-round pick. And, Corey, it would not shock me to see him on the other side of the ball. This kid could play D-end. He's athletic enough and twitchy enough to get up the field, put a pass rush. He's has all the physical tools. This is a guy that you see go into the combine and then end up going high in the draft, and you see two, three years down the road, he's better than a lot of the guys that were ranked ahead of him. I think he's a no-brainer. I think LSU got a great football player. I think you're going to see him as an all-conference player in the SEC, and he has a pro future.
2: See, Fish, you brought up an unbelievable point. If you're a good recruiter, you don't give up on kids. Kids will get bigger, faster, stronger, some earlier, some later. But it's going to happen, especially if they got the genetics in them. Some are late bloomers. Stick with them because this kid's a great example of that.
1: Coach, let me ask you about pedigree uh, real quickly. You know, when we talk, we all know Jason Taylor, uh, one of the great pass rushers in NFL history. He's a Hall of Famer. You also look, you know, his uh, brother-in-law, Zach Thomas, who was one of the great linebackers in, in the NFL during his era. Does pedigree, does it carry some weight with you when you're recruiting a kid?
2: Yes, especially if the kid you're recruiting wants that and believes in that pedigree, meaning if, if that player, and I, I don't know Jason Taylor's son, but I can only imagine he has that want to, he has it. So there's a lot of discussions that go in after practice is done. when they're home, in the backyard, on a weekend, just talking football, watching film, talking about, now he's getting all that that the other kids aren't. So yes, pedigree becomes very important, especially if the young man who is, is the, uh, the recipient of the pedigree wants it. And if he does, then disguise the, the limit.
0: Listen, he took the last year to improve himself. I mean, he is not the same kid physically he was last year in March. And to me, that means something. That means he loves football. He wants to get great at it. He's put the time in. Now you're going to see the reward this year on the football field. So here's one of those guys that his senior year, he's going to be, Oh, well, where did this kid come from? He didn't come from anywhere. The kid was already there. He just took his game to another level because he wanted to become great. And you know what? He, he doesn't, I don't feel like this is one of those kids that feels the pressure of his dad behind him. He wants it for himself. And I think that's huge with this kid. Like I said, I have him rated as a top 30 kid in the state. I think the networks have him like as a top 100 kid that's because they can't project what he's going to be like in two or three years. Give me this kid. You could take some other kid. um, And and I'll take my chances. That's why I've always said as a young man, you got
2: to prepare like you're going to be what you want to be someday. That's so when it does happen, you're not shocked. And it's the same thing with this kid. He was preparing all along through his dad or his uncle, whatever to be somebody when the time came. When he got bigger, faster, stronger, when it happened, he was ready for it. And that's what I try to tell kids all the time. Don't worry about the 11-year-old highlight films. Sometimes you don't even know where those guys were. Yeah, it's easy to identify a kid at 11, 12, but when they're older in high school, do they have it? Do they have the pedigree? Are they gonna get bigger, faster, stronger? That's the one you better watch out for because they have something to prove. All
1: right, and congratulations to Mason Taylor for his move to LSU. under you know the qiwanis program under roger harriet a former guest on the fish cast and a, a great man in general and a great coach we got a little bit of a surprise for you so we're going to end part one right now and come back with part two and uh, we'll see we have we might have a really big guest for you us see be back more of the fish cast